Welcome back to the Keen Lake Podcast, the premier whiskey podcast, <laughs> now with the mention of whiskey in its title. Hey, we're live from the world's best spirit selection of bars in the United States at the wonderful Delilah's in Lincoln Park of Chicago. And when I say Rosen, you say Treader. Rosen. Treader. Rosen. Treader. Rosen. Treader. Yes, Matt Brown is back with us, baby. He is our number one boy, our number one correspondent, and the man who makes all the goats dance. Sim- similarly to last episode, I am in my cozy era. Mm. I'm leaning back. I have the microphone stand resting on my little, fat little belly. It's so pleasantly and plump. And I am having a great time here with my buddies. Yes, and you want to introduce our buddies? Oh my gosh! It's, what, is this a dream come true? What? A, yes, absolutely. What a pl- what a pleasure it is to what a introduce to my left. Um, I'm sorry if I don't know your guys' job titles, but my dear old friend Susan Rosentreder of Samson and Surrey. Hello. And then my dear friend Eric Rosentreder of Old Elk Distilling. Hi. Returning to the podcast, my two dear friends, Eric. Uh, we talk. Uh, all the time about our lovely shared soccer team, Liverpool, <coughs> and Susan about our um, historical obsessions, mm. which just, tend just to be a small obsession. <laughs> which, uh, well, our our timelines don't overlap, though. I I am particularly like ninth century Great Britain, ninth uh, so century. I'm, to I like know I'm I'm actually through 11, the Plantagenets, eleventh yeah. through sixteenth. Yeah. Is, is my so I'm a little er- early for you. I, I intend to go from like Alfred to Henry V. And then once he dies of dysentery, I'm out. <laughs> I mean, that, that was the end point for you? Pretty much. It's I'm, less fun after that for I'm, me. I'm William up through pretty much the advent of the Stuarts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, the was, the ad- what was the advent of the Stuarts? Do you want the long version or the short Let's version? Let's go with the condensed version. All right. Once upon a time, they were the Tudors. They stole the throne. They had some relatives. That's right. Yep. They had some relatives up north named the Stuarts, S-T-A-U-R-T-S, better known as the family of uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, and the first kings and queens of Scotland's, like the, the Marys through the Jameses up through the Charles Stuarts, and they were the ones that actually unified the UK into what we know now. Right. That's the short version. I knew that. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> Very much. So. I'm more gotcha. Of like, I'm more of like ancient civilization in Latin America. That's cool. Oh, that's actually super interesting. It is. I remembered any of it from college, but um, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I think I got a history minor in college somehow. Who's your least favorite king of England? Modern or ancient? Uh, in our time periods that we like. Time um, after time. <laughs> I think Henry the Fourth was kind of a fuck up, and ah, the Bowling Brook. Um, and the reason was is because when you unstabilize an institution like that, which his entire family did, um, look what happened. You know that that kind of led into about three hundred years worth of destabilization of of a very very important bedrock of medieval society. Mm-hmm. And therefore, fuck that dude. You didn't think Richard the Third had him had it coming? Well, no. Listen, Richard the Third. I think he he is painted in a very very negative light, but he was yeah. an amazing administrator. 
That's he what was. they say about John too, though. Well, and that's also that's also kind of true. Did mm. you read that Mark Morris book that no, I recommended? It's on the, it, it, it's you, on the you definitely wish list. you definitely should. So I'm more of a Zach Morris kind of guy. <laughs> you're more you're much more of you're much more of a Zach Morris kind of guy, Jake. Basically, I think much maligned kings like John and um Henry or John and Richard mm-hmm. and even to a certain point Henry the Sixth. History is written by the winners, mm-hmm. and they did not spend a lot of time looking at the way that they actually ruled. Yeah. They spent, historians spent a lot of time talking about the shocking, the mm-hmm. <gasps> well, even pearl the cr- clutching yeah. of everything that happened. Even but- the contemporary guys loved the warrior king, and that's what Henry the Fourth and Fifth were. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, and then it comes along, then Richard. Poor- R- Richard two definitely wasn't what's mm. up richard two the guy he liked bowling, to sniff yeah. flowers yeah mm. he was a soft is that man. why he was. teddy roosevelt so beloved in american history honestly no <laughs> I, hard he's men, a warrior president no hard men in a, in a leadership even even hard modern build hard men no it's true even modern day leadership we have a tendency um to idealize the masculine and the hard and if you look at Jake's flexing right now. Yeah. You're a real silent. Is that what that was called? You're going to be a real silent generation dad, you know, like (laughs) withholding of pats on the backs and stuff like that. Todd Marinovich. Who? Todd Marinovich. No. He was, his dad was a coach at USC and he built him into be the ultimate quarterback as a child from like, Eric, literally from like being four or five years old to Uh in college. And then his son was like, I don't want to play football. (laughs) That's cool. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I'm going to do with my son. It's interesting, you know, uh, whiskey's also one of those things that's tied in so much with, like, mm. masculinity and stuff. You don't say. <laughs> you know something? I do, Susan. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I have not spent my entire career being treated like a little girl who got into her daddy's whiskey collection. It, you know, it's so funny it's because true. I that. connect, because I used to sell to you, of course, when you're mm-hmm. the GM of Fountainhead. Um, Never heard of it. I associate you with authority mm. because you can. I would go in there and sell to you and learn a lot from you and hang out and you know. Well, I I think that was a perspectival issue um, because you met me and you knew me mm-hmm. as somebody who look at the program I was running mm-hmm. in your mind that it was already established that I knew what I was doing. Oh, yeah. But when I came over to the supplier side and started interacting um, with a much different subsect of like whiskey enthusiasts or or buyers or ownership or whatever, um, I am was to a certain point especially early on in my career very much on the back foot Mm -hmm. because it was who the fuck is this little girl who thinks that they can come in and tell me what i should be buying in my store how i should be doing my shelf sets how you know giving the advice that we all do as suppliers Mm -hmm. and a lot of times i basically got a pat on the head and a pat on the bottom as on my way out out the door it was it was tough um, whiskey is very much historically a, a very male space. Mm-hmm. It, it just, it is. So it's, it's been a long time and a long time building my, my reputation as somebody who actually strangely after 20 years does know what I'm talking about when it comes to this, you know, particular spirit 
Because um, not only did you uh, run Fountainhead for that time, but you also worked at, um, well, currentliquor.com's best liquor selection. Spirit oh, selection. Spirit selection for bars. Best Delilah's spirit for selection. I did, um, where I met my very, very handsome Woo! husband right here. Eric's, so Eric's also here. Hi, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, no. I, um, I got very, very lucky in that one day after bartending for a while and, and being at places like the Green Mill and like Kuma's. Mm. And if anybody in the Chicagoland area has been here for 20 plus years, if you remember Iggy's, um, I, I've, I've had the ability to work at some very, very storied Chicago joints. And one day I wandered in here um, and basically asked somebody for a job and I had to come in and I had to take Mike's whiskey test. <laughs> what is um, this whiskey test? I would was, love to take that test. It was more or less, you know, uh, what we would consider pretty top line, water mash bills, you oh, know, okay. talk about the different yeah. distilleries, these things that Hold made, conversation. Yeah, made him feel comfortable putting me behind a bar with 800 plus whiskeys. Yeah. Um, this was when I had first started really, really getting interested in the category. So it was, it was kind of a, a blessing to get a job here and between you me and that post right there i've been trading on this shit his now for his, <laughs> stop like, it be nice i've been trading <laughs> on the fact that i work here for 15 years now be, or no more like 12 10 12 years because you say i used to work at delilah's mm. and everybody automatically goes she knows what she's talking about or there is this perception that you under intrinsically understand whiskey if you work in a place like mm -hmm. Delilah's. You do not get to the point that Delilah's is best whiskey bar in the world, best selection in the world. Spirit selection. Best spirit. Well, yeah, From because this is well, this is not just a, <laughs> this isn't just a whiskey bar. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, no, it's yeah. not. Um, Mike has world class beer, world class spirits. He he does it all. Great music, great ambiance, great service. Mm -hmm. you Sneaky know. wine selection. That's actually what I'm drinking right now. Ooh. Yep. Yeah, no, no, no. He's Mike. Mike is an absolute maverick when it comes to crafting and experience. And, and w both Eric and I were very lucky to be kind of brought into the fold and, mm -hmm. and learned in this specific environment. Sure. How do you I take crafting good. that experience into what you do now? Well, like we were just talking about, what, 15 minutes ago, when we're talking about how, how selection... Bad what's that? How bad Everton is. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Hey, listen, they've got beautiful kits, though. Um, oh, boy. Hey, listen, it's that really, really pretty blue. <laughs> oh, here we go. Here we go. All right, listen. So what we were talking about about 15 <laughs> minutes ago before we started rolling was how much the service experience crafts your experience in a bar or restaurant mm -hmm. their food can be world-class but if their service is shitty you're yeah. gonna have a shitty time yeah their bar program can be world-class but if you don't have somebody behind the bar guiding your experience it's not a good experience mm -hmm. and what delilah's taught me was how to speak to consumers about a very confusing, huge category, mm. how to do it quickly, and how to do it where I'm not just an order taker, 
but I'm an experienced crafter for them. A, a, Sherpa, a lot if you will. of it. What's up? A Sherpa, if you will. Oh my God, don't say Sherpa. Okay. That's such a pretentious fucking term when it comes <laughs> to whiskey. Um, but <laughs> what? Nothing. You're not wrong. No, I know. I, 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 uh, <laughs> when you talk about this, it was it takes me back to a conversation we recently had with John Chesney. I consider at, myself more of a blacksmith of experience, mm. just banging it out. That's what she said. <laughs> okay. Yes, we all do. What but was Chesney saying? He was talking about how when someone orders a drink at the bar, he knows where they are on their journey of whiskey or and or spirits. Hundred percent. And yeah. he can guide you on to the next yep. choice if you if you ask them to do that. Yep. Um. It's so. Going back to the not just being an order taker, when I used to, my, my first supplier job, um, it was very much a blended role between brand ambassador and sales. And one of the reasons I was hired was because of my training ability, because mm. I did it for so long. Training and staffs I, and everything. Tra- exactly. Yeah. Training staff, how to talk. I still do it. Training people how to talk about whiskey and spirits and cocktail programs. And the if not then sales technique is very, very, very important because not every bar, well, except for Delilah's, carries every whiskey ever ever made. But if somebody sits down and says, I want, let's just say wild turkey, my brain automatically goes, okay, they like big, bold, brash, spicy. So we might not have wild turkey or you might have always had this wild turkey, but how about this? You like this, let me try, or let me give you a little sample of this. And once you capture their imagination or their interest when it comes to exploring a category, they're not only going to think of you next time they decide to invest their dollars, but they're also gonna take that information home. They're gonna take it to an off-premise place. They're gonna take it to their buddies. They're gonna say things like, oh my God, I went down to uh, Slightly Toasted and John introduced me to X whiskey. Mm-hmm. And that's a really, really power, powerful motivation um, for consumers. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a really, really important part of what we do as suppliers and what on-premise places do um, for cultivating an, an audience and a consumer base. Do you feel like that's changed since COVID? You know, hmm. since COVID, um, I, all right, my instinct is to say, <laughs> yes, it has changed because we are more into the, um, the healing portion. Hmm. Um, I think right as COVID was lifted and things were getting back to normal, we were looking at that turn and burn, just get more money. We need people back in here. We need to restock the coffers of, of finances and things like that. Um, but I honestly don't go out that much anymore. So I guess I might not really be able to speak to that too much. Well, I guess more from your opinion of, you know, you said you like training, doing staff trainings. I feel like that's been one part of our jobs as brand reps that's been shortened. It hasn't come back as fast as other parts of the industry since COVID. Well, yeah, because I mean, for, for the last two years, places have struggled to employ people who care. They've struggled to employ people who don't treat being a server or bartender as a transient um, job. You mm. know, before COVID, this was a lot of people's careers. Right. They were deeply invested in the on-premise and, and being a server and a bartender 
was their J-O-B. Um, I think that changed because so many people lost their jobs and so many people were leaving the industry that it was no longer looked at a long-term career path. I think maybe it's starting to get back to that where people are starting to care. And the number one way to affect people's level of give a fuck is how much money they make. And I think we are starting to see a new set of servers and bartenders who understand that the more you know, the better you sell, and the better you sell, the more money you make. Mm. So we're starting to see a little bit more interest. But yeah, getting staff trainings is still... It's like it's Sisy- impossible. It's like Sisyphus <laughs> well, no, well, pushing a boulder uphill. Well, we try right to be now. sensitive too, as to getting people to come in on their days off, mm-hmm. right, 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 things right. like that, come which is early. the biggest yeah. thing. Yeah, it's I mean, like we could do a kit and have people take kits home, yeah, but that's that still idea. work, you know. Yeah. I mean, for for them, I mean, it's it's our jobs to do that. But you look at how, um, especially coming into like trainings and how we've seen a big influx of people starting to work distribution and supply in, in all the states and working with different brands, kind of like a newer class. And the way I started in the industry and started here was totally different. Uh, I worked the door for years, yeah. one day a week as like supplemental income to me being in the trades. And eventually it just evolved into something too. Mm. And that's something that I carry with me as well. That when, when, I, when anybody would come into the bar, I wouldn't say, hey, you should try this. I'd be mm-hmm. like, what do you like? Uh, yep, where do you want to go from there? Yep. And we see it. I see it, um, whether it's working in with whoever in the field, I let other people say other brands. I don't say other brands. If they want to compare it to this, let the consumer do that, whether it's at a tasting or you're showing to a bar or restaurant or something like that. If I'm presenting my brands, I'll be like, oh, compare it to this. I will never do that. Mm-hmm. I only talk about my brands. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I understand that. I think... That is super smart from a supplier standpoint, but when when our job is to educate, I do think it is important to give a little bit of that compare and contrast because it sure. is the if not then sales technique. So like your brands are amazing. Everything Old Elk does and you have the depth and breadth of the whiskey category Um, but your brands are relatively small and esoteric. So I think it might be kind of valuable to go, okay, our weeded bourbon, you guys do weeded bourbon and weeded whiskey better than 99% of the distilleries out there. You guys fucking nail it every single time. I let the distributors and whoever I'm selling to make that comparison. I know, but for me, it's like if if we get to work with... My time with the rep is just as valuable as my time with the accounts. No, no, no. Because I, we are so small, I want them to be familiar with our narrative and what we do and stuff I, like that. I, no, I totally respect and understand that, and mm-hmm. that's that's a good way to do it when you're on the distributor side. But we were talking about on-premise and, and education for staff. I think it's important when you're talking about staff who are standing in front of, you know, 100 whiskeys, I think if we're coming in and doing staff education, it's very, very important to give them the tools that say, this is the weeded bourbon category. If some chuckle fuck comes in and insists on drinking Weller, and that bartender now knows that you guys make an absolutely stellar seven or eight year old wheat bourbon. Sure, but that's not comparative drinking, that's categorically drinking. Well, but, they're inherently the same 
it's comparing within a category. It's sure, teaching sure. it's teaching them to talk about let's use Starward as an example. You guys are also incredibly esoteric and there aren't a whole lot of competitive set or comparative set whiskeys out there. But if they're like, and I'll probably fuck this up because I don't know Australian whiskey very well, but if they're like, I really, really love Amrut or, you know, blah, 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 any of those other like Pacific Rim kind of, yeah, yeah, like world whiskeys, that's where you step in and go, okay, if you like this, try this. 100%. And it'll expand their their knowledge in general and mm. another thing that all of that education does is it brings it back to you being a trusted advisor in the category mm. mm-hmm. for not only consumers but also you know on-premise um employees sure and, and going back to what we were saying about being sensitive to people's time yeah. and stuff like that when i th- thinking back which i haven't done in a while when when we were coming up and this isn't anything other than my experience, obviously. Um, like how many days we came in on our days off to talk with a certain brand representative, mm. whether it was Marty Duffy or Dan Kroll, things like that on our days off. I started here working after working 50 hours a week. I came in here to work one day a week as well. So there's that kind of give and take. Yeah. Uh, Americans, we do work way too hard. Oh, too God. Much. Um, but there's also something to be said for, I mean, there's something to be said for going the extra mile and, and giving points of differentiation mm-hmm. in employees, uh, giving yeah. chances to stand out and, and doing that. Uh, my, my first staff test, uh, I got a hundred percent. I was bar backing that night and Mike stopped me. He's like, Hey, you really nailed your test. And I've got, I've got like four cases oh, yeah. of American beer in my hands. <laughs> You're going, like, thank you, look, Mike, but I'm still working. I'm like, great. Like, <laughs> yeah. So what does that mean? He's like, I just noticed. I'm like, okay, I got to get back to work. <laughs> you know, but it, it was those little things. Yeah. That, and it directly compared to when I was uh, training under Mike O'Connell, the best bartender on planet Earth. Um, he showed me a lot of what to do, how to remember people. Um, getting those points of differentiation in, you know, and by the time I got to actually bartend, I had so much respect for that position that I didn't want to. I put a lot of pressure. Nobody would put more pressure on me than me. You You don't say. Hey, Eric, I have a question for you because I have to go. Yes, sir. Tomorrow, uh, Carabao Cup. Oh, Where are we watching Liverpool? it? Well, I'll be in Rockford. What's Rockford. this, what's yeah. this wee stuff? You got a mouse in your pocket? So we're going, <laughs> you, and I, you and I have work to do Classic. tomorrow. That's what, a, what work do that's you have a, to do tomorrow? That's, a grandpa, that's something my grandpa would say. You got a, who's this wee? You got yeah. a mouse in your pocket? Listen, I'm from Wisconsin. I have so many isms. Also, if someone farted, oh, someone step on a duck? Uh, ours was someone step on a frog. Good. Yeah. Okay. Or barking er- spider. Yeah, er- barking spider. <laughs> West Ham and Liverpool, do you think Klopp uh, just picks the best 11 available, or do you think he rotates a little bit? Slubbishly. I mean, you win three matches. Our team's on pretty heavy rotation as it is right now, so I think think we're going to be okay. I think you see a Thiago Silva experience. Uh, That'd be great. Thiago Silva? You mean Thiago Alcantara? Alcantara. Yeah. He's missing forever. I don't think he's ever going to play again. Who's on the bench? Was he? Oh, is he... Was he on the bench the other day? No, he no. wasn't. He wasn't. Was he sitting behind he was the sitting, bench? Yeah, he was sitting. He was sitting, oh, okay. he was sitting yeah, as a, he, not as a sub. I don't think we'll see him play because um, this, this is his last contract year too. Mm. I think it was just kind of be done. I heard okay. he's. I heard he's one of the most in, intelligent football players. 
people as football players. Oh, well, what was that shot that he that goal that he had last yeah. year where it literally floated downward and yeah. then back up the yeah. hitting that was the nice. ground that was yeah. bonkers. Um that was a I know we're ball. all in a tight time crunch. Oh, yeah. So um let's talk about the single barrel that you brought here for us to enjoy today. Uh sure. I mean I wanted to bring um there's a couple single barrels of our port finish bourbon out there. Uh, I know Moreno's has one. Um, uh, Lake Liquors in Cedar Lake, Indiana has one. It's uh, obviously for the port finish, according to Whiskey Advocate, it's one of the better whiskeys out there right now at number 15. That's what I saw. So um, it's funny because Susan and I were talking about the Whiskey Advocate. Bye, I love you. Bye, Bye, Matt. Um, We were talking about the Whiskey Advocate list. It was like... Read that book. Happy Kwanzaa. Um, we were talking about the Whiskey Advocate Top 100 like two days before. We were just like walking, taking our morning walk. And we were just like, yeah, like no, like smaller mm. brands like us don't care about it unless you get on the list. Right. And sure enough, like two days later, like it, the report came out or their list came out. And we're like, I was literally, we we're literally on a plane to Fort Collins to go to our holiday party when it came <laughs> out. And like, well, this holiday party is going to be a lot more fun yeah, this year. Yeah. So. Uh, but this this one we have the uh, the slightly toasted uh, seven year wheat whiskey oh, nice. that we actually picked um, with those guys while Greg was in town a few months back, mm-hmm. and it's a wheat whiskey. It's a ninety five to ninety six percent wheat, uh, depending on the year of distillate, um, malted barley to cover the rest at barrel proof, fifty three gallons, uh, heavy char, heavy toast, uh, barrel barrel strength as well. So we were just drinking this down there the other day actually. It's we're, we're really leaning into wheat whiskey as a category. Uh, we have a ton of wheat whiskey laid down right now. Um, it, it's for it, this. It, okay, since we were talking about like transitional whiskeys and going into wheat whiskey is a very small category. Yes. Uh, but for people coming off, say, a single malt, a lighter single, single malt, uh, whether it's Pacific Rim or Scottish or, or any other single malt, they yeah. tend to be a little bit lighter, whereas... Typical malt drinkers will be like, I don't want bourbon because it's too sweet. Um, we'll hear people from all the time that people that come from single malt say, I don't like bourbon because it's too sweet. To me, malt our, our wheat whiskey is kind of a, tran- a suitable transition. Yeah. Because it is a bit sweeter, but it's a little more rich than sweet, but it still has that lightness to it that like a single malt oil. It's it, yeah, it's a small part Unpeated of the, it's a small part of the American whiskey category, but it holds such weight because people think that it is more profound than it actually probably is because it's inside of you know, everything I think, Sazerac. I think Americans you know, with with all the new things that are coming out, you know, especially speaking of like barrel finishing, you know, barrel finishes are great, but they can lean into that kitschy collectible aspect of it. Yeah. Um, which is great for the category as a whole, but it's like, all right, so what's your base? And our wheat whiskey is part of our core four that we have available all the time. And it's just like, okay, I like the collectible aspect. Who doesn't like an LTO every now and again or a single barrel? But if craft beer and where that is right now and how much people are going towards lagers, beer-flavored beer, Pilsner, stuff like that, um, I, I think that's where where at least American whiskey is going, something a little more stable, a little mm. more, hey, I know what this is every time sort of thing. Or, you know? or, I'm sorry. Consumer I was, fatigue is coming. Well, oh, I, mm. I think, so Eric and I, every morning, we go out for a walk. I know, and we do I feel like I've invaded one of your walks right now, this you, last half an hour. I know, you kind of <laughs> are. It's, 
Well, all right. First of all, Eric and I are very lucky. I don't think most married couples um, have a partner who intrinsically understands what their partner does for work. Sure, sure. Eric and I have the benefit of both of us being able to bounce things off of each other in the morning because we deeply, truly, and utterly understand what each other does for work, which is a big part of who we all are. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that has been a major topic of conversation for us for a couple of years now is where the whiskey industry is going. And if we are truly seeing a peak because we've talked about this for Jesus five six years we've had this conversation constantly are we at the peak are we going to see a marketplace contraction are people sick of of whiskey are are you seeing marketplace fatigue are people trading to agave blah 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 like every possible thing that we can we can talk about and I think you are starting to see a little bit of marketplace fatigue or category fatigue, but I will say that all signs, symptoms, and at the end of the day, fucking dollars say that we're not really seeing that much of a thing, but what we are seeing is people are being more choosy about where they're spending their dollars, but what I love to see is... With the high level of consumer education out there with whiskey, what Mm -hmm. you're seeing are people more willing to put hands on wheat whiskey that is not a bourbon, on world whiskey, Mm -hmm. on these smaller categories, which 10 years ago didn't have a shit shot chance in hell of competing. And now you're seeing people who are seeing like producers like Old Elk make amazing wheat whiskey. It's not a bourbon. Sure. It's not, but look at, look at what's in the bottle. Well, that's, that's one of the things that I, I think working for a smaller brand, like we all do mm-hmm. is, is very rewarding is that we, we find our fans and we make more fans, mm-hmm. you know, like there's a huge stratification in whiskey right now versus the noisy brands, Yeah, you know, who gets the, the collectible thing and post it on their group. It's and a flash in a pan. It, it Who's is. actually it's an important, building yeah. It's an important brands. point. When yeah. you look at American whiskey brands releasing bottles for sale that are going for ten to $25,000 a piece. <laughs> for yeah, we, 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 audi- we didn't audibly roll our eyes, but we all rolled our eyes. But to me, that increases the conversation of American whiskey. The next question that I think is the more important one is, can anybody else do it? You know, you look at these super collectible things coming out of certain houses, and it's like, great. I think smaller brands can see that flash and get distracted by it as well. Versus, like, no, smaller brands have to bootstrap it. We have to work both smarter and harder. Yeah. In my opinion. You know, versus coming up with algorithms to decide who gets what bottle based on previous sales. There's a little bit of that with with all brands. I think it's, like, you know... What Susan said about choosing your whiskey a little more carefully, what you're sure. actually purchasing. Sure. People still want a really limited experience, but the brands have to actually give a limited experience. Sure. Um, you can't just have, we were talking about this in the last podcast with Alex um, Brick about how it has to be, you can't just have a single barrel program to have a single barrel program. 
actually has to be spe- special expressions well, versus just having like, oh, we have single barrels. Well, that's exactly why I brought the slightly toasted bottle here today yeah. is we've done so many single barrels just in Illinois, yeah. um, much less the Covered country. Covered extensively on this podcast. That, <laughs> that listening to your podcast with John Chesney and everything that he said – I just I texted John, by the way, that you're featuring his. <laughs> nice. um, I knew that having a single barrel with those guys based on our relationship with John and, and his support of us over over the years that we've known him and whether it's being behind the bar or now on supply side, is that I know that he will tell that story. He will help advance mm-hmm. that narrative yeah. because he cares. Because um, good, retail becomes a little you can't be there every day, but having somebody like that as like essentially as an ambassador, uh, it, yeah, kind yeah. of. Yeah. Um, retail is kind of a different animal, but for <laughs> me, um, like Lake Liquors in Cedar Lakes, they're on like their fifth barrel in like two years for us, which wow. is a lot. That's for a lot, Cedar yeah. Lake, Indiana, is a very small, sleepy town, but he's developed a culture of people there wow. that are like. We trust his picks. Um, they do release events and stuff like that. Like he, he works his ass off down there. Uh, same thing with with Moreno's. They bought yeah. an Armagnac cask, well, finished bourbon, and which is stunning. So good, yeah. In a time where nobody was really, because those are very expensive barrels too, especially the Armagnac. It's a hundred gallons, so oh, wow. yeah, that's a lot of product to that's, chew through. That's a beefy barrel right there. All right, so hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna do one thing because we actually have to get going in a couple minutes. But this this specific conversation about single barrels, we are all three of us smaller suppliers. And we, a lot of what we do rests on using single barrels as a leverage point for identification for our brands and and using that to kind of do the halo effect and hopefully trying a really amazing single barrel like like this in a place that values education like um, Slightly Toasted. Um, and doing launch parties. Like, I like doing launch parties with, with things like that. But, like, at the same point, like, if they buy a single barrel from us, and I've run into this a couple of times, like, I can't do your job for you. I can well, educate your staff. No, no, no. And, but, and do that or do a launch party. But, yeah. Well, let me finish asking my question is, is what do you guys feel like the value in this consumer environment is for single barrels? Do you think it's working the way that we want it to, which is to bring people? They So we've got so many whiskey hunters, and we've got so many people that want to try the new, the now, the exclusive. Are single barrels continuing to be the leverage point that we want them to be? And I assume be all the same standard of we want them to be something that's delicious and exemplary of the product mm-hmm. but brings it back to the core line exactly yeah. it's it's the pin hooking it's the yeah. it's the halo effect yep. where somebody oh, pin hook got a shout out there you snuck that in first time Ayo. in three podcasts <laughs> <laughs> new, um, record. new record well so no i agree that, i, I, I yeah. hear what you're saying right mm-hmm. I, I guess i don't agree because you didn't we didn't agree you didn't say anything yes the question um I, I think it's an oversaturated market where it's not doing its job anymore. Okay. Where specialty should sure. be special. Okay. And it truly should be from that sense of like, yeah, this barrel is delicious. The teeling pick we had on earlier today, phenomenal. Um, those are special limited releases of a brand that can show off what it does on an individual cask level. 
and it should invite you back to like, what else is Teeling doing? What else is Old Elk doing? Well, what, it's, it's managing our expectations too. What else is too. Few Spirits doing? What else is Few? What else is Widow Jane doing? Oh, Widow Jane actually does not because we're a blend, a five barrel blend. We don't do single barrels oh, because it's antithesis to what we do as a brand. Yeah, we were we were hesitant the same way about a single barrel program in the U.S. because we do seventy barrel blends to make our core whiskeys. Yeah. But then, it, you know, it started to see the excitement in America and obviously things took off. And I think it, I think it was a very identifiable uh, resource to bring to the market to attract people to Star Wars. But then people became confused about, are you guys a single barrel distillery? Yeah. Is that what you do? Yeah. Because <laughs> they, we only had one or two other SKUs, core screws, out, SKUs out on the shelves. Core right. screws. Core screws. Core screws. <laughs> um, where you're like, oh, well these guys are making some magnificent single barrels. And then there's like one other bottle hidden behind the shelf back mm-hmm. there. And that was, we got, we got lost in retail space in yeah. that sense. But when you have a single barrel at a place like Delilah's, which was a, the best curated selection of spirits across the entire world for a bar and have a single barrel in the back bar and see that on a menu and then see eight or nine other star Wars bottles. People are like, oh, that's curious. Yeah. What, what is that? What? Sure. And, and especially when you get to less crowded areas, I have found this in Indiana and right. Wisconsin, the Stanley like, hotel in Colorado for sure. <gasps> that, so beautiful. Yeah. There's, and I creepy. think there comes a certain point They're like, yeah, cool. You're interested in a single barrel. I'll send anybody some samples. I totally can do that. But then putting that on them, like, Hey, do you want to do a launch party? Like I can be up here on this day, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. The, the halo effect, I think, that we're talking about, and this might be a little bit more of a complicated conversation, is, to me, that's on uh, not only us, but our distributor as well. Yeah. To be is... like, hey, like, they brought in a single barrel. What else are they doing? And some places just want single barrels. Yes. That's cool. Um, we'll take what we can get sometimes. You know, but at the same point, like... Look at how many liquor licenses there are in Cook County. Yeah. Then blow that out into greater metro Chicago and then blow it out to statewide and then multi-state and stuff like that. I know you cover a huge territory mm-hmm. that it's just like, okay, like we'll take sales where we can get them. Yeah. And if then that, then. But is that a way of developing a brand across the, a giant country? It depends. Uh, that's when you put the enthusiasm back onto the account a little bit, I think. Right. It's it also like, depends how, much, how, you, how much can you invest into you that check space? check in with them. A, a quick text message or a phone call or an email. I try not to email. I, I like text messages more because it's a little more personal. Yeah. But that's when the follow-up and follow-through, like being out is, what, five, less than 5% of our job right now, Susan, if that. Yeah. Um, but I, how much time are we on the phone? How much, How many emails do we send? We're, uh, we're text s- messages, stuff like that. Everything is relationship-driven. That's what we do. Yeah, so we're sure. still in constant contact. And that's one of the reasons why I... I guess I'm not super hip to what's going on in the industry right now is because we're so focused on, on I feel like I'm out every night, but I'm not out of every account every night. So when I go to like one side of town that I haven't been to in like three weeks, they're like, Oh, we're doing this now. You're like, I missed out on all this. It's impossible obviously to cover every area in a big city. We base our going out by pulling our numbers and be like, wow, this little account yep. has actually gone through some product. We haven't yep. been there yet. Let's, Let's go support and, and yeah, uh, and that's, that's how I found that, uh, the place in Lamont. <gasps> uh, when I was with Woodenville, I'm like this little place in Lamont, Illinois has gone through 10 cases oh my God. and I had never been, we had just moved out there yeah. on prem. On on prem. It's yeah. called cornerstone. Huh. If you guys want it's to great. have your minds blown, go have, the uh, bologna sandwich there. <laughs> Ooh, it's pretty it will, good. No, it will actually sandwich. change your life. <laughs> and the eggs and crispy onions on it. Oh, oh my so gosh. Good. Love a good bologna. And, 
but just following the numbers, like reverse engineering it. Right. And I, we went in, we had a, we had a, an afternoon there. The staff was amazing. We met the owners and now we do, we continue that business into what we're doing now. Yeah. Because for one, it's right down the street, uh, Southwest suburbs, mm-hmm. especially where we are, can be a kind of a food desert. But just because I looked at my numbers back, I haven't been there yet. Yep. We should yeah. go. And that's kind of, I was talking to you about that account that I didn't have a great holiday party yet, but they're pushing us through two cocktails a month. And that way it's like, okay, you can kind of show on that support. If it doesn't go well, then it's a different story. Figure out how you're going to read readjust and I make mean, that account feel good still, but maybe not give so much time to it. No, I, I, a hundred percent understand that. Like it, as a small brand, any love that you get is important. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. all accounts are intrinsically important to us. They just, they are. Yeah. Um, and, so, and having those challenging conversations with certain accounts too, they'd be like, I would like to do this for you. Can we do something to boost sales on my end yeah uh, like great i want to do a holiday party how about we do a feature menu for that week we'll kick it off or end it you know do an event and that sort of thing but for us it's like yeah we want to be friends with everybody we mm-hmm. want to be in places like obviously delilah's franklin room things like that uh, slightly toasted of course but if the volume isn't showing you got to go, you got to go where the show is, you know, and and it's, it's a tough conversation to have. I I really enjoy having those conversations with accounts um, because like, yes, I like you as a person. I like this bar. I like your staff. Hmm. What's it going to take to, to bring And most places are just like, okay, yeah, we're going to throw you in the old fashioned. We're going to throw you on a menu. And it's just like getting comfortable with the ask is such a huge portion of yeah. what we do because it's, it's extremely challenging because not everybody loves our brands as much as we do, you know, and getting out there be like, yeah, I want to do this. Good point. But how about we do a cocktail feature or something like that? Most places are great with it. Yep. That's a good point. Well, I've held you too long. You're already late for your dinner. We are. Yes. Um, so you guys need to get going. It's all your fault, Eric. I know. I think we're also getting kicked out too, if I'm not mistaken. There's oh. an event happening up here tonight at 6 p.m. So oh, oh okay. so we gotta, we gotta go. beat it. Yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a part of that event, I guess. You are. Yeah, I have a table. Cool. So we shall see what happens. Great. We shall see. All the single barrels and Delilah's limited releases will be on sale tonight. Oh, that's tonight. Okay. Yeah. 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 Including the Star Wars single barrel. Your single barrels are fantastic. They're okay. Yeah. They're okay. Well, um, Eric, Susan, thank you for joining us. Matt Brown, I'm so glad you left already. Um, the, uh, the podcast has been better ever since you left at minute something. <laughs> Cough. Um, thanks again for coming out. I'm so glad we could all do this together in the best spirit selection of a bar based on liquor.com's choice. Mike's reaction to winning best whiskey bar in the world in 2020 or no. 2019 yeah we were at a Benny's event and and I said hey Mike did you see and he said yeah he's like it's about time (laughs) so I'm like yeah probably the similar feeling here. it's no longer the legend of Zelda whiskey bar all right well we'll see you next time everybody cheers bye